0: Man, good morning. This is a fa- one of our family Sundays uh, if you 're new with us when we what we 've decided to do in order to uh, use the resources that we have, especially volunteers in our children 's wing uh, on the fourth Sunday, we have the kids with us, uh, so you can expect a little bit more noise, and that is good we 're ha- glad to have them here. Kids, if you did not get a children 's bulletin, ask your parents to run back there and go ahead and grab one in the lobby so that you can be coloring that and filling that in and it does have to do with what we're going to be doing this morning but as we start here's the question that i have for you have you ever just been captivated by an ancient mature established tree Have you ever just been walking through the woods? Maybe you know about this, just this one tree, and you just can sit there and just look at it, and just your imagination starts thinking, man, I wonder how long this tree has been here. I wonder what if this tree could tell stories what it's seen. As a kid, I remember this one time I grew up um, in Brazil, And there was this one camp that we would go to that had this massive tree. But it wasn't like trees that we see around here. It was one that has aerial roots where like the branches would drop down roots and then those roots would become huge. And so this tree had these huge roots that came up. And for you to put your arms around it, you needed like 20 people. Just this huge tree. Some of you have been out west and you've seen the sequoias. Or redwoods, and and you just stand there in awe of this living thing that goes 100 feet up into the air, these colossal trees. Even around here, sometimes when I go on walks with my family, we, we come across ancient oaks, and you point them out, and you just think about the history that tree has been around for. But you know what's interesting? With all these trees, I've never thought... Man, I wonder how it got so big. That that tree probably knows something the other trees don't know. There's something this tree, some secret that this tree has figured out in order to be mature, in order to be established, in order to bear fruit, in order to increase. Man, something in this tree, it's figured out the secret. Kids, do you think that that's true? Do you think that that tree figured out a secret no no that tree has done what it's made to do ancient trees grow to that size not because of a secret not because of some new method not because they are unique but because they are consistently and constantly following the process God designed in order to fulfill the purpose God gave They're doing what they were designed to do. They're following that process. They're accomplishing the purpose God gave that tree. They followed the process and they grew. They bore fruit and increased. They fulfilled their purpose. The effectiveness of following the process was made very clear to me when I tried my own hand at at growing some plants. Now I'm not an incredibly romantic person, but every once in a while I'll do something that, that is kind of sweet. When, when my wife and I, I I already knew that I was going to ask my wife to, to enter into a relationship with me, we were going to start dating. And um, during before that, I had noticed that my wife really liked the symbolism of oak trees. And, and acorns and, and the symbolism of that growing. And there's lots of other things that were connected to it. And we had learned that and discussed that. And so before we started dating, I actually went online and purchased like a whole bag of acorns. And I had them all ready and, and, and I was there. And, and the day we started dating, I planted like 50 acorns because I really didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, well, quantity over quality, one of these will probably take. And I didn't tell her anything because I didn't want to be that guy, hey planted a tree while we started dating. Just saying. Um, I didn't do that, but I kept it a secret and and I just had it there. And they actually all took. So I had in my dorm room, like 10 buckets of all these saplings that I was watering and and watching. But the day we got engaged, I actually gave her one of those saplings. And then when we got married, we planted it. And right now that tree is planted on my in-law's property not very big. It's about that big around right now. It's almost ten years. Well, it's ten years old from when we started dating. And that tree has grown. And do you know what I've done to make it grow? Absolutely nothing. It's done what it was designed to do. On the other hand, I also I've always been fascinated by bonsai trees. And, and kids, if you don't know what a bonsai tree is. It's a tree that sometimes is only like this big, but it looks like this ancient and old huge tree. And if you look at a picture of it, you're like, man, that could be 100 feet tall or it might be just two feet tall. But it's, it's designed to look like this huge and old and mature tree. And I thought, man, how cool would it be to have that in my office? So several years ago, I went and I bought My first little, wasn't really a bonsai tree, it was meant to be trained into a bonsai tree. I watched all these videos on what to do, learned all these processes, because really, this is one of the things I learned. Did you know there's nothing special about bonsai trees? If you put a bonsai tree outside, it will just grow into a normal tree. It's not genetically altered, there's nothing different. It's just the way that it's cared for. Because there's a gardener that's that's forcing it to follow a different process than what it was originally designed for in order to make it look different than its original purpose. So I watched all these videos, and I had this bonsai tree, and I knew what I was going to do, and I was going to have this tree. Well, let me tell you, there's no tree in my office. It died (laughs) very quickly. But I realized that in this process that, that... Trying to force something to accomplish a different purpose, trying to force something to follow a different process leads to failure. In our passage this morning, Paul is going to point us to Jesus. He's going to show us the process that leads us to accomplishing our purpose, We are going to see that the process of how to grow, how to accomplish our purpose, how to become rooted and established in order to attain the fullness of maturity, that process is not meant to be a secret. We aren't meant to look at someone who is mature in Christ and wondered, wow, I wonder what happened. I wonder what the secret is that they figured out. This is the main point we are going to see, that only through God can we accomplish our purpose. Only through God and through the process he has ordained can we fulfill the purpose he has given us. But he's very clear in what that process is. He he literally writes it out for us so that we can follow that process. This fits within the theme of Colossians because we've seen that our purpose is to glorify God. It's to make Christ preeminent in our lives. But that doesn't just happen with any formula. It's not just any process that leads us to accomplishing our purpose. It needs to be according to Christ. The process is not accomplished by relying on more than Jesus. The process is not accomplished on relying on less than Jesus. It's just Jesus. That's the formula. So here's here's our big idea, okay? This is what I want us to remember. We only progress in our purpose of pleasing God when we rely on him for the process. The only way we're going to progress, the only way that we're going to grow in our purpose of pleasing God is if we rely on him for the process. So let's jump into... Our passage. As we look at this paragraph, we're going to be in Colossians one verses nine through fourteen. As we look at this paragraph, it's important for us to recognize the structure. Paul, Paul, and and kids, if you are in English, uh, one of the things they tell you not to do is run on sentences. Paul didn't go to that class. He 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 does lots of run on sentences. And maybe if you look in English, there's a lot of periods. But when Paul writes this, this is just this one. Long idea, but it all works together. But we need to kind of just spend a little bit of time understanding the structure of this, so that we can understand how this argument, all this this thing that Paul is going to explain, works together. Here's the first thing we see. This is a prayer. If you have your handout, you on the. the uh, Underneath the passage, we have this divided up, and it shows this first part, this is a prayer. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, we've already seen Paul praying. Last week, verses 3 through 8, we already saw Paul's prayer of praise. He's praising God for what he's already seen God do. But now we see a different kind of prayer. It's the prayer of praise petition. He's asking something. Look at what it says in the second part of verse 9. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the big thing that he's asking God. God, would you please fill them with the knowledge of your will? Now, at first, it might not be clear why this is Paul's request, but to Paul, he sees this petition as highly important because it's a necessary component in order that the Colossians may accomplish their purpose. Being filled with the knowledge of his will is meant to lead them to accomplishing their purpose, and this is the purpose. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Fully pleasing to him. This is our purpose. This is what the Colossians and we were created for. To be fully pleasing to God. When we look at a tree, we understand what the purpose of that tree is. It's to grow up. It's to bear fruit. And that's pleasing to the creator because the creator made it for that. For us, we also have a purpose. And we are made to be pleasing, fully pleasing to him. That's what glorifies him. That is what makes Christ preeminent in our lives. So then Paul then turns to outlining the process in which walking worthy of the Lord is accomplished. What, what, what does walking worthy of the Lord look like? What are the things that are part of that? He shares four different parts. Four different participles that are part of the process. These are the things that are meant to be happening continually. First one, bearing fruit in every good work. Second one, increasing in the knowledge of God. Third, being strengthened with all power. And then he explains that according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then the fourth one giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If we are going to be walking worthy of the Lord, it's going to look like bearing fruit. It's going to look like increasing in knowledge. It's going to look like being strengthened with his power. It's going to look like giving thanks to the Father. Okay, so that's, that's the structure That's how this long sentence works together. Let's go back now. Let's look at these parts and and go bit by bit and start gleaning some wisdom from them. Let's look at Paul's prayer of petition. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first words show us that this is linked to what's come before. He says, and so. It's continuing the idea. Maybe uh, many translations and maybe the translation you're using right now says, for this reason. For this reason, since from the day we heard. Well, what, what has Paul, what have Paul and his companions heard? Well, we see that what we looked at last week in verses 3 through 5. We always thank God, that prayer of praise, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of what? Your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul has heard of their faith, love, and hope. He's heard that the gospel is producing fruit and increasing in their midst. He's heard that they are loving others in the Spirit. If we were to imagine the Colossians as a tree, and, and this is the imagery that we have not only in Colossians, but also as we heard earlier, Psalm 1 read to us. If we were to imagine them, this is the sapling, that the seed that has sprouted. Paul is rejoicing about that. He's saying, Look, that seed of the gospel, the gospel that was planted in your life, it sprouted. There's life. You're growing. You're bearing fruit and increasing. What does that truth cause him to do? It causes him to pray. And he prays in praise to God for the work he has accomplished. This is really important for us to recognize as we go forward that before his petition, Paul praises God for everything that he has already done. He looks and says, man, we can't move on until we recognize what God has already done. Let's look at the miracle of life. And he's going to go more into this in the rest of the Colossians. You were dead, but now there's life. That seed has sprouted. But Paul doesn't stop with his praise of God. The truth he has heard regarding the Colossians also is causing him to come to God with a petition. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What is this showing us? That for everything, Paul comes back to God. He sees that tree that is growing and he says, thank you, God. Thank you for giving life. Thank you for causing this to grow. But then he moves on. Paul knows that even though it's wonderful and miraculous that there is life, he knows the sapling is meant to progress. Here's what I want us to recognize. The same power that caused the seed to sprout is the same power that causes the tree to grow. I think for the most part we do a good job in our circles of, of recognizing the power that is necessary in Christ for salvation, we're, we're very much on guard against the things that would say, no, the, what, what saves you is a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of you. It, it's, it's Jesus' work on the cross, but then it's your good works that earn that. It's, it's a little bit of both. And, and we're, our, our antennae are up against that, and we're like, no, no, wait a second, it's not by works. No, it's just Jesus and that's good because that's true. We need to understand when we're looking back at how are we saved, it's just Jesus. We understand that for salvation, but somehow we seem to miss that when it comes to sanctification. For salvation, just Jesus. Sanctification, it's a little bit 50-50. That, that's going to be me as well. That's something I have to do. But Paul is showing no. No. We wouldn't look at a tree and say, man, God caused that seed to sprout. But then the tree took over from there. Then from that point on, the tree said, I got it. I've got this. I'm going to take care of things from here on out. No, the same thing that caused it to sprout is the same thing that now causes it to grow. Paul recognizes that. There's a pattern of prayer that we see in Paul that is one we should emulate because Paul is balanced in this. Paul both recognizes what God the power of God in causing us to have life, in salvation, and he praises him for that, but then Paul also recognizes God's role in sanctification, and he petitions God for that. He praises God for the new life, and he petitions God for continued growth. It's the balance of his prayer. He rejoices in the good work that has already happened and he allows that to motivate him in the work that is still to be done. He is neither consumed by the past nor overwhelmed by the future. He is confident in the power and work of Christ. He knows we only progress in our purpose of pleasing God when we rely on him for the process. And so what's his petition? we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When Paul asks that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will, what exactly is he asking for? I think the easy way for us to think of this um, is we generally think about this in terms of information. I need to know more. Give us more information about Jesus. Saturate us with all of the trivia. Let me answer all the questions that there are. And don't get me wrong, we do need to know more about Jesus. We just finished a whole series where the big question is, who is Jesus? We went through the entire Gospel of John so that we could know this is who Jesus is but information alone does not transform. This is what Paul warned Timothy about in 2 Timothy. He described people who would be easily captured and led astray by bad doctrine because they were, and this is the verse, 2 Timothy 3, 7, they were always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. We're not just talking about information for information's sake our goal here is not for me to just regurgitate facts about jesus the knowledge that paul is calling us to is more than just knowing something it's an intimate and personal connection to the truth that abides within us it's a connection to christ It's a connection to who he is and what he's done. That's what's meant to fill us. When he talks about the knowledge of his will being filled with that, he's talking about Jesus. Now you might think, I don't know, that seems like a stretch. It seems like you're kind of trying to shoehorn Jesus into this. But thankfully, we have the rest of Colossians, and Paul makes that clear to us in Colossians 2. In verse 2, Paul is talking about that he has labored in order, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What is the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery? It's Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For us to be filled with the knowledge of his will is for us to be filled with Christ. Everything comes back to Jesus. That's why our formula is just Jesus. The fact that the seed sprouted The fact that there is fruit and growth is because of Christ. And so now Paul's petition for us is to progress. It's still according to Christ. Hey, what was their faith in before? Their faith was in Christ. According to the hope, according to Christ who is in heaven. This is what caused you to have life. Christ came so that we could have life abundantly. That's the truth. That's the power there. But now how do we progress? What is the petition? Be filled with Christ. We are to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The spiritual wisdom is literally wisdom that comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus promised he would send to his disciples after he left them. This is what he said in John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The way that this progresses, the way that we are filled is through the Holy Spirit spiritual wisdom, and understanding. We aren't just meant to be people who memorize information. The information is also meant to be understood. What does this all mean? It means we aren't going to progress if we aren't being filled with Christ. God's will is for Christ to be in us. You can't take a tree, remove it from the life-giving water and expect for it to continue to grow. It's not going to happen. That tree needs to be rooted and established, growing up in that which gives it life. We need to learn more about Jesus. We need to read and understand his word. We need the spirit who gives us wisdom. But we must not be mistaken to think that what Paul is asking for is just more information. The foundation of transformation is truth, capital T. But truth that does not lead to transformation is truth that has not reached our heart. It's truth that was not truly understood. Because we see next is the purpose of Paul's petition that we would accomplish the purpose God has given us. Verse 10 Why does he make this request? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Why did Paul ask that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we might be fully pleasing to Him? What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? It means that our lives, everything we do is meant to be worthy of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Earlier in our services, we read uh, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, meaning his life is not characterized by following the counsel of the wicked. That, That is the path that he walks on, the way of the wicked. Here we see that we are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. We are meant to walk worthy on the path of righteousness. Let's just stop and take that in. Am I, are you capable of doing that? Can you walk worthy of the Lord? Not unless you're filled with Christ. In my own strength, I am incapable of doing anything but walking in the counsel of the wicked. But if I am filled with Christ, that changes. Because what, if I am filled with Christ, what happens is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. But if I am thinking that I can walk in a manner worthy in my own strength, I am inevitably going to even try to take one step, turn right around, and walk in the way of the wicked. I am not capable of walking worthy of the Lord unless I am filled with With the knowledge of God's will, which means I am filled with Christ. Because we only progress in our purpose of pleasing God when we rely on him for the process. So let's look at that process. How does Paul see us accomplishing our purpose? What does it look like? What are the components? Well, the first one is that we are bearing fruit in every good work. If we are walking worthy of the Lord, if we are living in a way that is fully pleasing to Him, we must be bearing fruit. When you come, come across a healthy tree, it's clear. You don't look at that tree and you're like, ah, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. No, if there is fruit coming from it, you taste that fruit, it's good, it's pleasing. It's evidence that this is actually a healthy tree. But here's something we need to understand. It's the fruit of good works, not the root of good works. Now let me just explain that. There is a temptation to think that grace is the fruit of good works. Meaning, I do good things... And, and the, the, my good things, my good works, that's the roots. And what it produces is grace. No. Grace, that's the roots. Grace is what we have received and we did not deserve. Grace is the unmerited favor. Grace is the power of Christ in us. And what that produces is good works. Our good works are, response, are a response to what God has already accomplished. Ephesians 2.10 We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Bearing fruit is the external observable display of the inward transformation that has already occurred. You can't take Come across a dead tree and think, you know what I need to do? I got it. We're going to make this tree come alive by stapling some apples to it. And, and something, maybe that will just trigger something in the tree, and the tree will look and say, man, I, rem- I, I wish I could do that. Yeah, I'm going to put in some effort now to produce some fruit of my own. It's dead. It can't do that. The tree first needs to have life before it can produce fruit. And in chapter 3, Paul is going to give a large list of fruits that we are meant to be displayed in the Christian life. It, it's the fruit that removes what is of the flesh. It's the fruit that adds the things that are full of godliness. It's the fruit that changes our relationships with others. It's the fruit that goes to those who you disagree with and you speak to them with love, seasoned with salt. How do you know something is wrong with a tree if it's not bearing fruit? Let's look at the next part of participle. It also says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's petition was that we be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Ultimately, that is going to happen. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. But right now, Paul recognizes that is still a process he wants us to continue to be filled he wants us to increase in the knowledge of god the work that god began he will complete but the process of sanctification is ongoing right now we are to be continually growing again how do you know something is wrong with a tree if it stops growing if you look at it and there's no change We are never to become stagnant in our walk with God. We are always to progress. What does that look like? It means growing closer to God. It means studying his word. It means what Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me just give a warning right here we need to be on guard that we do not become bonsai christians what's a bonsai christian bonsai christian is one that has the appearance of godliness the appearance of maturity the appearance of deep and established roots but in reality its growth is stunted You look at a bonsai tree, it looks perfect until you put it next to an actual tree. You take a bonsai out and you put it next to an actual ancient oak, and there's no comparison. That process has been stunted, and it might look good on its own, and you're like, man, that that guy really seems to know his stuff. That guy really seems to to have deep roots on these different things. But is there really fruit? Are they actually increasing? Are they really growing? I'm not pointing fingers at other people. I've been tempted to be a bonsai Christian lots of times. You look at these other people, these these other examples that we have. One of the blessings of being in a church body is that you can look at other people and see, wow, this is a mature and established believer. I want to look like that, but then I try to force the process. Let me just add some elements that make me look older than I really am. Make make, make me look like a more mature Christian, but it's just, it's just a farce. It's not real. This is a great temptation for believers. Beware that we do not become a bonsai Christian because a tree that grows stagnant is a tree in decline. It's not healthy. But lest we think that Paul is now calling us to do this through our own means, according to our own methods, through our own strength, he's not because the next part of brings us right back to Christ. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We will not accomplish our purpose if we, are be, if we are not being strengthened according to his might. Even with the best of intentions, which I'll be honest, I don't have, the strength to follow his commands could never come from me. But his strength is unending. Paul knows that we only progress in our purpose of pleasing God when we rely on him for the process. It's his strength. It's his power. We can walk worthy if we are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That statement, according to his glorious might, what does that mean? Let, let's, let me just illustrate this. Let's say that you, you've come across, um, on, on hard times financially. You're, you're at rock bottom. You, you don't know where your, your rent money is coming, your next meal. You, you have nothing. But it just so happens, through this bizarre set of circumstances, you come across either Elon Musk, Bill Gates, um, uh, Jeff Bezos. You come across, you, you have time to interact with one of these people. And they say, man, I am just so moved by your story. I want to give you a gift. I'm, I want to give you a gift to help you out. Now, Do you know, based off of what they just said right there, how big this gift is going to be? No. In fact, the fact that they have so much money probably means they are not in the habit of giving it all away. So, yeah, you don't really know how big this gift is going to be, but what if they say, hey, I want to help you according to the wealth that I have. What kind of gift is it now? If they're saying, I want to give you something that will be measurable according to what I already own. Now the expectation is totally different. If that person gives me a dollar, I'm like, what on earth is that according to what you own? That's like .0000, add another thousand zeros, 1% of what you have. But if he says, I want to give you according to the wealth that I have, that changes it being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What exactly is this might? It's the might that created the heavens and the earth. It's the might that formed and breathed life into man. It's the might that called his people out of captivity and split the Red Sea so that they could cross unharmed. It's the might that built up and destroyed nations. It's the might that rose Christ from the dead. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 shows us this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you know what this is saying? The same might that rose Christ from the dead is active in those who believe. If you have repented of your sins and believed in Christ alone for your salvation, the might that has caused there to be life in you is the might that caused the seed to sprout and to grow bare and to bear fruit. It's the same might that raised Christ from the dead. And it's the same might that is still active now in causing us To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's an incredible gift. But without that might, we can't do it. Without that might, we will not endure. We will not have patience with joy. See, Paul knows this process isn't easy. The mighty oak has seen hard winters. The mighty oak has gone through various painful fires. It has endured droughts and floods. But the strength it has, has because it is rooted and established in something far stronger allows it to endure. And not just endure, it waits with patience for the end. Right now there's a good chance that many of us in this room are facing either a hard winter, a painful fire, a draining drought. And if you aren't in one of those seasons, chances are there's one coming. And during those seasons, the temptation is to abandon the process. Let's try something new. Is accomplishing my purpose really supposed to be this painful? Something must be wrong. We have to try something else. If you're in that place, I don't claim to understand exactly what you are going through but I do know that I've been through seasons myself, and I do know that what would seek to call me away from the process that God has ordained, from away from being rooted and established in Christ, anything else just leads to greater pain. The tree that says, you know what, I, I don't like this place that I'm in. Let's pull up our roots. Let, let's, let's try something else. What happens to that tree? It falls over. No, in those moments of pain, those moments of suffering, what we do is we put our roots down deeper. We allow the thing that has caused us to grow in the first place to be the thing that sustains us. Being strengthened. Listen to this glorious truth again. Not a truth that pretends everything is easy, a truth that recognizes the hardship but knows a power that is greater than any hardship. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. When we think of the context of this book and where it's going, do we see what Paul is doing? He's showing us that there's nothing better than what you already have in Jesus. Don't let another process tell you, no, there's another way to get fruit. No, there's a better way to grow. There isn't. Anything that causes you to not be rooted and established in Christ will cause you to be weaker. The final participle is this. And we're not actually going to go through this one today. We're actually going to look at verses 12 through 14 next week so that we can really take each part of this. But in order to see just how it works in the whole argument, this is the final thing. This is what is meant to motivate us. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. And look why who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Undergirding all of these steps is our overwhelming gratitude to God for everything he has done for us. Why? Because if we look back and we think, wait, what has caused me to have life, the life I have right now? What has caused me to grow in the first place? That confidence, that gratefulness will help motivate me to say, that is still what I'm going to rely on in growing and moving forward. There's something captivating about seeing a mature and established tree there's something even more awesome in seeing a mature and established child of God. We don't look at trees and think, I wonder how that happened. How did that tree get so established, so rooted, so secure, so mature? The process the tree followed to achieve maturity isn't a secret, and neither is the process of maturity in Christ. The problem is the results aren't always fast and flashy instantly gratis, gratifying as we would sometimes want. But what we value in ancient oaks is not just that they pop up. We value their stability, their endurance, their patience with joy. We value their unwavering progress in accomplishing their purpose. Day in and day out, they do the necessary things In order to increase and bear fruit, are we willing to do the same? Again, not in our strength. This isn't through us, this is through Christ. But are we willing to do the work that needs to be done in order to accomplish our purpose? It's hard work, it's tiring, it often goes unrecognized and unappreciated by the people who walk by. But there is one who is watching. The one who is watching watches because he has a vested interest in the outcome. After all, it's according to his process, through his power, for his purpose, which results in his pleasure. Every single one of us is at a different point in this process. For some of you, the seed has been planted, but it has not yet sprouted. You've heard the gospel You know that you are separated from the one true and holy God because of your sin. Because of sin, there is no life in you. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. I know that not only because the Bible says so, but because that's what I was. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But Christ came, he died, and he rose again that I might have life abundantly. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. Jesus paid the price for my sins. He erased my debt. He made peace by the blood of his cross. That's the gospel. But that seed only sprouts once we repent of our sins and believe in Christ alone for our salvation. If you have not done that, come talk to me. There's nothing I would rather do after the service than be able to point you to Jesus, the one who gives life. But for the rest of us, if that seed has already sprouted, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Don't let that process stop because you're looking to accomplish it in a different way. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will, which is Christ, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. By bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in knowledge of God, being strengthened according to his glorious might, and giving thanks to the Father, it's all through him. We only progress in our purpose of pleasing God when we rely on him for the process. Father, we can't do this by ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you have already done a miracle in allowing there to be life in the first place. So now, Father, we ask that we would not look at what you have done in the past and then think arrogantly that we can do this ourselves in our own strength moving forward. Lord, we relied on you for our salvation. Help us to rely on you for our sanctification. Lord, we pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will so that we would walk worthy of you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.